1: with Alex Golden and Michael Fachi. Duarte, he knows where the clock is, lets it fly and hits again! Beat him up.
2: Brogdon goes inside
1: and Turner finishes.
0: Warren lets it fly,
1: yes! T.J. Warren is not human! Are you not
2: Stevenson, Jackson the catch, Jackson the basket. Pacers got the steal, outrunning is brissett, pounced it home. Washington, again. Five of them. Go go good job. To, to Taylor, Taylor missed it, tips it in.
1: Oh, The, Pac- the Pacers clearly yeah. won this that trade. Was, yeah. The Pacers clearly won this trade. Dropped it
3: off to Jalen Smith with the poster. Healed. Hotter than fist grease. Halliburton going to slam it. This is Tyrese Helburn. Just out here in Indiana, um, I'm super excited to meet you guys and super excited to get started here. Go Pacers! What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. No basketball games to talk about as we are enjoying All-Star break. But Fauci, long weekend. How was it, man? Weekend was good, you know. It's obviously nice
2: to you know not be missing any games as I was traveling to New York, saw some family and all that. But now that it's been a couple of days, uh, I gotta admit I'm I'm kind of itching for some Pacers basketball.
3: <laughs> yeah, so it's a weird it's a weird dynamic, right? Because we're like low key rooting for win- uh, losses, but we still want to get them play. So it's like you know you think while wow, this whole week's off, like you know I'm not gonna miss it too much, but. I actually am. I'm actually really missing just watching Halliburton play and Buddy Heel play and the new guys that we brought on this year play. I just I just I just miss watching the guys play, but I'm hopeful that after this all-star break, we'll maybe get to see some of the guys that were on the injured report, uh, injury report come back and play. I completely agree. Look, I mean, we ended on a high note, beat the wizards, Halliburton looked great. I mean, things things are starting to,
2: you know, take shape a little bit where we can all find something to root for and plus. You gotta imagine Turner, and Brogdon, they gotta be close to returning. Duarte, Isaiah Jackson, they should be back. So, you know, I'm I'm super happy for that. Plus, we also had Halliburton representing us during All-Star Weekend. That was great to see.
3: Yeah, and there's no doubt about it. So happy President's Day, everybody. Hope you guys are enjoying it. We got uh the president of the No fan club here with oh, us yeah. today. Michael J. Fox. I don't know what I'm the president of. I feel like you would maybe label me as a president of the Aaron Gordon fan club. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. I, I haven't
3: talked about him in like two years. I, mean, I saw
2: a tweet the other day. I saw it. <laughs> Might have been dunk contest related, but hey, oh yeah, I saw it on the timeline. He, he
3: should have won a dunk contest. He let's be have. honest. I mean, if you if you sat there and watched that crap fest that we watched oh on God. Saturday, I mean, I've seen I've seen you know kids in my in my Sunday school class dunk donuts in their milk better than we saw some of these dunks you know it's just terrible man like i'm just like what is happening here like it was awful i'm not gonna complain too much i mean it is what it is but you know just felt like without any real stars in there even Obi top and i thought could do well i mean he won the whole thing but like his dunk wasn't that great no 50s i mean what a joke (laughs) but uh anyway let's move on fochi nobody cares about the all-star weekend because um, you know, in terms of Saturday and Sunday, because there's no Pacers involved, but we do have a lot of mailback questions today. So are you ready to jump into these mailback questions? I'm ready. All right. Let's start here on Instagram with B Jordan Matthews. He said, if the team were to change your jerseys next season, what past Jersey would you like to see make a comeback? Personally, I've
2: always loved the pinstripes. I like 2003, 2004, like that era. I have a Jermaine O'Neal jersey um, that I, to this day, I still love. Plus, they won 61 games. I mean, it was just a good era of pacer basketball. I'm a sucker for the pinstripes.
3: Yeah, the pinstripes are nice. The Flojos are nice. I really like. I really like what they wore in the 80s when Reggie first got drafted mm-hmm. here. Almost the royal blue instead yep. of the navy. Um, you know, they 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 used the front of that, I believe for the jersey they have this year mixed with the flojo in the back. I really like that jersey and it's got the old palm in the in the logo like the the dunking yep. hand but the ball is actually the tennis ball instead of the basketball. I'm sure you remember that logo but I do. That's the old ABA logo. Obviously it's like, you know, you would rather be a basketball whatever, but Exactly. I just love that royal blue compared to the Navy. The Navy can be kind of dull to me sometimes. So Royal
2: pops for sure. Yes.
3: I like the pop of the Royal blue better. I wish they would go back to that. I don't think they ever will, but that's where I'm at with that one, Fudge.
2: I don't think so either, but hey, both, both good options. Uh, we have uh, next question. DJ Stylistic said, what do we need to do to keep Jalen Smith? Dude seems like he could do it all. Plus, I just like to see a player wearing goggles. Just reminds me growing up and watching NBA basketball
3: in the 90s. <laughs> Horace Grant vibes right there, oh, exactly. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think if they want to keep him, what you got to do is just not play him the rest of the season. Um, you don't want to get his stock any higher than it already is. Maybe if he has a really bad game where he's, like, two of, like, eight or two of nine or something like that with, like, four points, gets in foul trouble, then you just don't play him after that game. So, you know, no other teams – every every team that looks at him, like the last film they have on him is just, like, a horrible game. They're like, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to pay too much to this guy. But – You know, really, it just feels like the Pacers are going to be, you know, you know, out of luck here in terms of retaining Jalen Smith. I just I don't know exactly um, what's going to happen. But um, but yeah, I just I don't see him staying here, but I would love it if he could stay here.
2: Uh, We got to hurt this man's value. We need to slander him in the media. No, I'm just kidding. Look, (laughs) You know, there's nothing that we can do. We're not going to just sabotage this man. A change of scenery has worked wonders for him. It does seem like he could easily receive offers above that $4.7 million. Um, This is also a really weak power forward and uh, center free agent market. So I do think he's going to have some suitors. And I love me a good goggles player too. They are truly the last (laughs) of a dying breed. If we can't have a guy nicknamed the brow, maybe we could have the goggles.
3: Yeah, yeah, all right, watch there I go. You need something. Yeah, well, maybe Jalen Smith can get it, but I-, I would like to see him throw back some old school goggles. These are a little bit new school looking. They I are. would love the old school ones, the the thicker ones. But uh, let's move on to our next question from Fester thirty five. He said, "I love Jaden Ivey, but defensively, how would we cope defensively being so small? List the small forwards in the East, and they are either six foot eight or two hundred twenty pounds plus. I think we would get bullied there."
2: Yeah, I mean, look, that's that that that's been the Pacers' issue for a while is defending, you know, true wings. Um, just with any rookie, I feel like, for guards, I feel like that's typically where they struggle with most defensively. Um, I know you mentioned small forwards. I I don't know if you're thinking Jaden would be playing small forward for us, but obviously it's a position of need. Uh, it's going to be tough, but when you're picking top five and, and Ivy could very well be there, I mean, it's going to be hard to pass him up. So I don't think that there's that many – like small forwards really in that top three in this draft, it feels like you got your power forwards, you got Chet Holmgren and you got Jaden Ivy. And I feel like those tend to be the the names you see most in the top
3: four. Yeah. I think this question was kind of hinting at the fact of like, if you put Ivy and and Halliburton together in the backcourt, Mm -hmm. then Duarte is your three and and you worry about the size there a little bit, but um, I'm not really for sure how much Duarte weighs at this point. I know he's about six foot six. So, You know, maybe a little bit undersized in terms of height, but weight wise, I'm not sure exactly what he weighs, but I understand the concerns. Like, don't get me wrong. It's, it's not easy uh, to envision Chris Duarte as your long-term starting three, but at the same time, it's positionless basketball. Um, I, I think that if you are smaller, but you can shoot and play fast, then you have an advantage on some of these teams. I mean, that's, that's the benefit of that. But at the same time, you also have to look at who else could be on the roster, and you're looking at six, eight, two hundred and twenty. well, hello, there's T.J. Warren right there for you. So if T.J. Warren's healthy, he could play that. Uh, you, you probably have Turner at center, and then you could probably play O'Shea Brissett at the four and bring Chris Duarte off the bench. And I know fans might not like that idea, but if you feel like Jaden Ivey is the answer at, at point guard, then I think you really have to consider putting Duarte on the bench um, if you feel like that's too small of a lineup to move him down to the three.
2: Yeah look I mean look I'm sure Duarte would be thrilled with it but I do feel like he has the capabilities to be one of the better six men in the league. Mm-hmm. So look at 6-6 six, six, it's not like he'd be terribly small. It's not your ideal height if he's playing the 3 but in positionless basketball hey sometimes you got to try some different things and a three guard lineup that's you know essentially It could be something very different. It could be an advantage for the Pacers. Who knows? But like I said, if Jaden Ivey's there and you want to go best player available rather than think, hmm, I don't know, I'm worried about Chris Duarte. I think you just got to make the pick. Yeah, and Duarte is only
3: 190 pounds, so I understand the concerns there. But that's his rookie year. Let's see what he looks like when he comes back from the offseason. I would love to see if he put on maybe like 10 to 15 pounds of muscle just to get himself a little bit more, you know, stronger heading into next season so he can finish through contact more and be more dynamic than what he is.
2: I would definitely like to see that. The one thing that obviously works in his, you know, disadvantage is that typically you see player's bodies change a lot from like age 18 to 19 or 19 to 20 when Duarte's already 24, you know, it would be tough for him to just all of a sudden have his body change similar to like what Giannis went through. Yeah, but 10 pounds, look, we could do that. So I'm not yeah. worried about that. Next question I have uh, coming over from Joffrey underscore. I'm <laughs> sure I butchered that. I always um,
3: just spell it out because I'm not sure how to pronounce it. But A
2: D J A F R E underscore there you said, go. <laughs> "In your opinion, does Kiefer Sykes' face weirdly look like Cassius Stanley's?"
3: You know, I honestly before I got before I read this question, I had never thought about it. But then after reading this question, I said, "You know what? I, I I kind of agree. They do a little bit." It's kind of funny to think about that, but no, I mean, uh, you know, both are really uh, interesting Pacers. I think both might have a similar timeline in terms of how long they stay on this Pacers roster or how long they stayed on this Pacers roster and catches us, uh, you know, for his situation here with the Pacers. But, you know, I think they, they have some similarities. What do you think? I agree.
2: Look, there's no way that I could like humanly explain this, but when you if you pull up the picture, you could see enough that maybe if you squint your eyes or you look real quick, you could see some similarities. I agree.
3: <laughs> Let's move on to our next question. We're going to go over to Twitter now from Pacers faithful. Uh, Given the desire to be a real contender while right, also keeping Halliburton happy, is it best to be as good as possible next year with more current? incapable NBA players or to trade anyone older than Duarte and lose from the year to shoot higher in next year's draft.
2: I feel like this rebuild, retool, whatever you want to call it, took some convincing with, you know, Herb Simon to the point where I don't think the Pacers are looking to embark on like an Orlando Magic, OKC or Houston Rockets rebuild. I feel like they're going to try and go for it next year and be as competitive as possible. What does that mean? Does that mean they're going to be contenders? No, it doesn't. But I do think that they're not going to be making any excuses. I think they're going to try and win every game. Not to say they aren't, but I don't think that we're going to be thinking, hey, this team's tanking again. So, you know, look, Brogdon, we don't know what's going to happen with Brogdon. And look, for for Miles Turner, I mean, he's going into a contract extension, so he's still young. He's 25. So I expect the Pacers to be a better team next year, but more along the lines of going for the play-in game rather than a playoff spot.
3: Yeah, so I think what the Pacers will do is what Fauci said, try to be competitive next year. Tyrese Halliburton has already addressed this on uh, the NBA Today show. But I think if you're asking me personally what do I think would be best, while I would not really want to watch it as a fan, another year of tanking um, – the the next, the next draft class is supposed to be incredible in 2023. I mean, from all the guys that I've talked to that cover the draft, they are raving about this, and they said it would be stupid for the Pacers to trade their pick to move up in this year's draft and give up 2023 draft capital. And I said, I totally understand that, and I think I agree with you. But in terms of how the Pacers will probably go about trying to win, I don't necessarily think they are on the same page as most people when it comes to looking at this loaded class. And I also think if they have the opportunity to trade Malcolm Brogdon, they potentially could get a 2023 first round pick for him. So there is still a way they could get back into it. They obviously have other draft capital and this year's draft that they could use if they want to do that instead. But, you know, overall, Fachi, I I mean, I'm not saying like you have to constantly like just break it down and tear it down to, Get you, you know, two good, really good players here in the draft lottery. But, you know, the I, I think if you can get one more guy, you know, you already have Duarte in this year's uh, in the this year's draft, Halliburton the prior the prior year, uh, Jalen Smith is in that prior year as well. You add in the 2022 draft pick and the 2023 draft pick. Now you've got a, a serious core right here that you can look for, uh, you know, to lead this team to a potential deep playoff run in the next couple of years once they gel and get their, you know, time to develop together. Because, look, Halliburton will be 22, I think, here in the next month or so, whatever his, whenever his birthday is. But he's going to be 22 by the end of the season. He still has, you know, at, at least 10 more great years of basketball in him. So he's just scratching the surface of what, it be, what he can become. And I think getting him talent similar to what Memphis did would make a whole lot of sense.
2: Absolutely. Look, I'm all for acquiring as much young talent as possible. The Memphis – Comparison right over there would be perfect. I'd I kill to be Memphis moving forward. They got a great thing going. Fun, young team. Mm-hmm. It's actually winning way ahead of schedule. So, you yeah, know, that would be like one of the best case scenarios for us. Um, now we have uh, the next question over on Twitter. Aaron M. said, do you think the Pacers will be aggressive trying to move up in the draft if they are outside the top four?
3: Yes. <laughs> That's my answer. Yes.
2: Yeah, I mean, so do I. I really do think that the Pacers will be aggressive if they're at, like, pick five or seven. They've kind of hinted at, you know, if they see someone they like to go for it. But they also have the assets. They have the cap space. You know, they have a ton of picks to the point where it's like, do you really see the Pacers drafting someone, you know, at their original pick, the Cavs pick, and Houston's second-round pick? That just And and we own all of our future firsts. It just sounds like a lot of draft picks. To be yeah. bringing in when you already have a relatively young team.
3: Yeah, and I mean, I, I'm sorry to be so short with my answer, but it's just like, I, I don't know why, unless unless we, you know, jump all the way up to like one or two, or fall back to like eight or nine, like, and, and there's not a real chance to get up that high. I just have this gut feeling the Pacers will move up in the draft and get a player that they really want. That's just how I feel. And I guess there's potential that they could move up from like eight to five or something like that. But that would probably not include next year's first round pick. More so probably like the stuff we have later in the se- in the first round and potentially the second round with the Rockets pick. So those kind of moves I could see. But I just really feel, and I don't know why, it's just a gut thing. It's not like, a, oh, I know for sure. But it's just my gut. Keep screaming at me, Fachi. They are going to move up and target a guy that they like in that top three. I can see it. I, I hope for
2: it because I'm looking forward to it. I just think that we have we're in the perfect spot where we have too many picks to bring all those players on the team. So, you know, why not be aggressive and move up?
3: Yeah, no, it makes too much sense to me. But let's move on to our next question. This comes from Juiced at aka underscore morning. This team will likely look a lot more healthy in one of two weeks, with likely Miles, Duarte, Jackson, and possibly Brogdon returning. At the same time. We are going to have a pretty soft schedule at the end of the season. Are we going to go on a round that almost no fan wants to see?
2: Look, obviously, we don't want to see the team worse than their draft pick, but we are eventually going to get Turner and Brogdon back. We know Duarte and Isaiah Jackson are, are likely going to be back right when the All Star break, uh, you know, resumes. Um, but you got to sprinkle maybe TJ Warren makes an appearance. The schedule in the beginning of the year was very tough for the Pacers, so eventually it does feel like we will win some games, especially the way Halliburton's playing lately.
3: Yeah, I'll just read the schedule off to fans if they're not really sure. So the Pacers return Friday at home versus Thunder, at home versus Celtics, on the road for a doubleheader Monday, Wednesday versus the Magic, play back-to-back games there. They're on the road for Detroit, on the road for Washington, home to play the Cavs, on the road to play the Spurs, on the road to play the Hawks, home versus the Grizzlies, on the road to play the Rockets, at home versus the Trailblazers, at home versus the Kings, on the road versus the Grizzlies, on the road versus the Raptors. And so now you're getting into some tougher games here in a five or six game stretch, but a lot of like, you know, the Rockets, the the Spurs who aren't playing super great, but they're better than us right now. Uh, The Wizards, we just beat them. The Magic are worse than us, but they beat us recently. The Thunder, you know, there's some really winnable games here. I think that's why like 538 projected the Pacers to win like 10 more games after, you know, before the Wednesday game. So I can understand that, but at the same time, you know, you have to wonder how much the, the front office is trying to tank and are they going to maybe throw some games? You know, I hate to say it like that, but do you think that they'd be willing to throw some games here, Fachi, to try and salvage a worst record?
2: Yeah, I mean, hey, I, I'd be all for it. it it's going to be, it's going to be tough because I feel like now you got a young core that's playing really hard, but there still are ways that you could, you know, rest Brogdon, make sure Miles doesn't do anything to, you know, further hurt that foot. You know, there's, there's, there's some things you can do.
3: Mm -hmm. Let's move on. You got the next question.
2: Yes, I do. All right. Destin Adams on Twitter said, if you could only retain three of the young core long-term, let's say five years, who would you choose and why?
3: This is a tough one. It is. Um, Hmm. Well, I'm going Halliburton, no doubt about it. Um, I think you have to say Duarte because he's a lottery pick. Yeah. And then I'm stuck here between O'Shea Bursette and Isaiah Jackson. Um, you know, I, 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 feel like, I feel like I'd be like people would come at me if I didn't say Isaiah Jackson because he's our first-round pick this year as well, and I think the lob threat stuff is really enticing. But I'm also a little bit worried about the injuries. Um, he's already had like two or three this year. One that was like a freak thing. I just I wonder about how his game translates over the next ten years. And I feel like O'Shea Brissett. Um, he's looked really really good in this new system, and I think he's a totally different player playing this style than what we were playing earlier before with Domas and Jeremy Lamb and that group and Karis LeVert. So I will I will go out on a limb here. I will say O'Shea Brissett as my third. Uh over Isaiah Jackson. And it's only because I feel like centers in today's NBA can easily be found.
2: Yeah, it's it's honestly it's funny that my mind initially when I read this just completely looked past Halliburton because it's like obviously this man can't go anywhere. We we can't let yeah. him go. So I had Duarte, Isaiah Jackson, and then for my third, I was I was looking at uh O'Shea Brissett. So um, you know, I, I'm right with you there. O'Shea, I feel like is someone that man, you, you give this guy minutes, he does produce. It really does. So I guess if I'm throwing in Halliburton, it's Halliburton, Duarte, and Isaiah Jackson. Maybe that's the cop out answer due to just you know draft stock and all of that. But uh, I I just man, I'm I'm very intrigued by Isaiah Jackson. But yeah, we're we're still just scratching the surface there because it feels like he'll have like a killer game or two and then kind of get banged up and then miss some time. And then he comes back and has like another killer game. So it just feels like it's been a little inconsistent. So I look forward to seeing him on the court for longer stretches and then also being able to play with Halliburton, being able to play alongside Miles Turner. I want to see that experiment. So, you know, I I still want to see a lot more.
3: And I don't think that's a cop-out answer because I think it's a really tough decision to make, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't really consider Turner a part of this young core right now. He's going to be twenty six. In five years will be 31, you know. So that to me is just kind of like a wash there. Uh, there's no chance Goga gets in here or Dwayne Washington Jr. That, Honestly, I think Terry Taylor has a pretty interesting case. I'm not saying that he's anywhere near on the same level right now in terms of like Isaiah or O'Shea and what I would value, but I really do love what he does. Um, I think he would be like the fourth guy, maybe, or no, the fifth guy in this group out of the Pacers' current roster. But yeah, I mean it's it's a good question there, Destin. I appreciate that. And uh, I'm, I know Destin's a big Isaiah Jackson fan, so I'm sure my answer did not make him happy, uh, <laughs> you know, given him the, the Knicks. But it's it's tough. I mean, you could potentially say Duarte, because he's already 24, will be 25 by next year, and five years will be 30. Is he really part of the young core? I mean, that, I think there might be more of a case to cut him than we than we talked about. But at the same time, you know, Duarte, uh, really good player, Fachi. No, it's
2: that, very true. And in my notes, when, when I wrote, torn between Brissett and Terry Taylor. And I I gave Brissett the edge um, because, you know, it just feels like, hey, look, this is year year two that we've seen him as a pacer. But, you know, Terry Taylor is definitely uh, intriguing. I mean, his ability to rebound is just, for his size, I feel like it is just phenomenal. So I'm with you there. But you made a great point when you factor in the five years from now, because Duarte being, you know, 29 or whatever it'll be at that time, Is intriguing to be like, oh, wow, is that really part of the young core? But it's hard to go against Duarte, Isaiah Jackson, and, you know, Tyrese Halliburton right there.
3: Yeah, I know it is. And, uh, you know, I would just say one thing that I would really like to see O'Shea work on is that defense. There's a lot of times where his defense just looks not very good. So I could see why Isaiah Jackson would get the nod because defensively there's a lot of upside there. But let's move on to our next question. Andrew Smith said, will T.J. Warren or T.J. McConnell play this year? Warren was set to return in February, not sure when McConnell was due back.
2: Man, you could say set to return in February, I heard, set to return <laughs> in December, I heard yeah, January, so I. I heard everything, but I'm going to go with McConnell, no, it makes no sense to bring McConnell back, the Pacers are in no position where it's like, hey, you know what, we need some more T.J. McConnell at this point, like, it's just not going to happen. Um, T.J. Warren, I feel like is the guy that's going to be pushing harder to come back, because Given that this is, you know, this is contract year, he's coming off of. I know he's missed all of this year and basically all of last year, but he had some good years before that. I could see him wanting to push to get on the court for even if it's like ten games or so. So I think we probably do
3: see TJ Warren, but we don't see McConnell. Yeah, that's that's how I feel too. You know, you, you can't spell McConnell without no. So that'd be my answer. True. We don't see him back. Uh, TJ Warren. You know, I think you said it, Fajji, perfectly. He's got to prove that he's worth a contract. So he needs to come back and show what he has, especially if he wants to be here in Indiana. I wouldn't be surprised if the Pacers moved on from him. I think he's a true 50-50 player when it comes in to deciding if you're going to keep him on the Pacers or not long-term. It just feels like he is a 50-50 player. But other than that, I'm not uh, I'm not sure we'll see him a lot. I think you might see him just a little bit here and there, um, probably, probably towards the end of this month, maybe March. But there's no reason to overexert T.J. Warren at this point in the season. Just uh, let us – kind of like they did with Paul George when he came back from injury, just let him get his feet wet and kind of see what you have there, Fudge.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, the last thing you want to do is worsen that injury. So, you know, still rooting for him, but, you know, a lot remains to be seen. But next question we had, Jacob Blair on Twitter said, so right now I feel like we have Halliburton, Duarte, and Turner locked into the starting five for our future. So we need wings. I like O'Shea. But this draft is very guard heavy outside of a few at the top. So I'm wondering what you think the future of the power of the forward position
3: is. Well, that's a tough question. I they're gonna have to address it. I'm not sure how they go about addressing it. I mean, if you can like we just talked about TJ Warren, if he's able to come back and be healthy, then sure you you give T.J. Warren that chance. I think O'Shea said is worthy of, of some time there at the forward, but you're still gonna need it. And I know I put a question out on Twitter just like, hey, if Jaden Ivey isn't the guy, because I think so many fans are just so caught up in Jaden Ivey, they don't look to see who else is out there. I said, if Jaden Ivey is not available, what guy do you want on the Pacers? And I think Reb Bauer had a great one. He said, whatever wing is available, whatever three or four is available, that's the best option there. And, you know, I understand that logic. You know, there's a lot of ways they can go about doing it. I think the draft is number one. Um, you got like Paulo Banchero. you got uh, Jabari Smith, you've got A.J. Griffin, you've got Benedict Mathurin, you know, there's some guys in this draft that I think you could take to help be a part of that core there at that three to four position. But free agency-wise, there's not a lot of names out there. We've obviously talked about one a little bit on the show, Miles Bridges. We'll get to that later we have some questions about him. But I, I do think that if you're looking at all of those options, Flatchy, it's not a lot. So there, there could be a potential trade. I would keep my eyes on a trade maybe involving Brogdon and or Buddy Healed with some draft capital possibly sprinkled in there to try and address the three and the four position.
2: Yeah. Look, unless the Pacers hit a free agency, hit a home run and free agency with miles bridges, it's going to be tough to really get that small forward or, you know, that forward that we all dream of um, this draft class. It does have some great forwards at the top, but we might not, we not be might not be picking the top three, so yeah. it's going to be tough. Um, I think trade is going to be the best option for the Pacers to acquire the forward that they're looking for. I mean, historically, that's what we've done. That's what we've been successful at. So I think the Pacers will, well, pretty much, just like you mentioned, be able to strap a pick to maybe Brogdon, be able to go after someone, be able to maybe it's multiple picks, whatever it is. Maybe they just do, uh, um, you know. Maybe it's a sign trade. Maybe they just acquire a contract that someone is looking to get rid of. But uh, I do think that trade is going
3: to be the way that the Pacers fill that spot. Yeah. Let's take a quick break, Fatsh. And when we come back, we'll answer the rest of our questions on part one of the mailbag.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
3: All right, this question comes from Circle One Sports. He said, in the hypothetical scenario that Miles Turner doesn't mesh with the new group, who are realistic starting center options in the offseason?
2: Oh, man, I mean, I went through, you know, the free agency group, and it's it's not pretty. I mean, look, (laughs) you either throw the max at DeAndre Ayton, which would be a huge surprise if the Pacers were able to land Ayton, but then there's Yusuf Nurkic, there's Thomas Bryant. There's Andre Drummond. Look, I'm not expecting any of those names to really get you super excited. So it's very hit or miss. I, I think that, you know, trade or the draft is probably going to be where the Patriots have an option for the following year if it does not work out with Turner. But, you know, it's it's kind of slim picking out there.
3: I think you have to look in-house for the option, probably best available. Isaiah Jackson. And I hope so. Um, I mean, that's what I think if the Pacers move on from him, that's what they're going to do, I think. They're just going to give it to Isaiah Jackson. They might go after kind of like what Charlotte did and get a veteran in like a, a Plumlee type of player. But you got to imagine, like, I, I, I know that there was a DeAndre Ayton question later, but we'll, we'll hit on that. Um, you have to wonder, though, how intrigued the Pacers are by DeAndre Ayton. They've got the cap space, and if they were able to do a sign-and-trade, with Miles Turner, you're giving Phoenix a really capable center moving forward, Focci. Um, If they don't want to pay Aiton that much, now Turner is up for an extension. But I think, you know, getting Turner at 18 to $20 million a year compared to Aiden for 30-plus is something I think I can see Phoenix being interested in. But at the same time, you know, do they want to invest a ton of money in a center position? So, you know, you really have to pay close attention to that. There's always veterans that you can get on the minimum. I'm sure Cody Zeller, if he's healthy, he'd be dying to come to Indiana, right? But that's, that's not the kind of style you want to play. So I'm looking at for, like, the style of play the Pacers want to play. Um, if Turner's not an option, you got to look at the guys they have here. And potentially, you just look at Jalen Smith. We already talked about him. Look, you just say, Jalen, we're going to give you what we can give you. We can give you as much money as we can this year. Play this one year with us on this cheap contract, and then we will give you a very nice deal going forward if they feel like he is that guy. But other than that, I really don't know what other options are out there. I mean, if you're looking for agency-wise, I mean, you're going to have to dip into, like, the gorgy Dang type you know, type of Ooh. players. It's like, I don't really think I want to offer or have that. What about Mo Bamba? Does he intrigue you at all? He, he does. He's gotten better this year.
2: I, I think it was kind of rough that he was, like, buried behind Vucevic for a while, but – I don't think – we. I mean, it depends what, what the, the going rate is for Mo Bamba. But, like, yeah. I would rather have, like, a Mo Bamba than, like, an Andre Drummond or something at this point. Yeah. Um, younger, can still continue to develop.
3: But Thomas, I agree. Thomas Bryant's another guy that I could throw out there for what he can do three-point shooting-wise and that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mentioned Thomas Bryant in that group just because, look, you got the ties with Indiana and IU. But also, this is a guy coming off of an ACL tear that, that I feel like is going to be affordable Um, And I I think that it's not that unrealistic of an option. So I I do think Isaiah Jackson should be who you're looking at. This is someone the Pacers, you know, have raved about. I mean, we obviously know that this guy can, he can block shots. He can, you know, finish lobs. He brings a lot of athleticism that the Pacers have not had in the past. And he's on a cheap contract.
3: Yeah, no, I agree. So let's move on to our next question, Patrick.
2: All right. On Twitter, we have Patrick Fagan. He said, grades
3: for Rick Carlisle so far this year. Okay, so there's two ways you can look at it. Look, Rick is the coach, he's made some really interesting decisions, Ross. you know, substitution-wise, rotation-wise, but that's for me to judge as a fan watching the games and who knows what's going on. But if he convinced Herb Simon in this front office to break up the double bigs, to get more modernized, to stealth tank, to get a higher draft pick for next season, you got to give him a B-plus, okay? You know, if he's able to do all that from – Shaking up the whole entire foundation of what this team and the principles they believe in, you know, I got it. I can't give them an A because the team sucks, but I can give them a B plus for getting us out of purgatory to a certain degree and getting us into, you know, some uh, some new di- new dimension of what this Pacers basketball, ev- you know, just a new. Re- it's like an evolution, a revolution of Pacers basketball here because of Rick Carlisle's ability to kind of talk like talk through like what he wanted what he saw and how this wasn't going to work like you know they said he was an alliance with all the moves they made well no duh I mean he was probably the one you know trying to like bang in the door for this move to happen so I'm a I'm a really I'm really trying to be very fair here of Carlisle so uh, X's and O wise C minus but what he was able to do to get this franchise turned back around I say B plus.
2: Yeah, I said B or B plus, honestly, because I'm looking at the full picture, just like you are. Look, we should have been better at closing out close games. Pacers were horrible in that category. Yeah, at one true. point, at one point they were like what like one and eleven in games decided by five or less. It, some some stats similar to that. Then we were horrific when trailing at halftime or trailing going into the fourth quarter. It was almost a guaranteed loss. So there's some things there that that were not great. However, if you look at the bigger picture and you look at how instrumental he was in the draft, it, whatever part that he played in, into hitting on Duarte and Isaiah Jackson, you got to give him credit for it because the Pacers draft history before that was not good. Then you talk about the trades at the deadline. That, it reeks of Carlisle. Like, you know, his, his imprint was on those trades and he did a fantastic job with that. So from everything that we've heard, he's now built the framework to you know acquire what he needs to be successful here moving forward from a record standpoint obviously the records terrible but what's it going to get us potentially a top 5 pick so all of that factored in I'm giving him a B or a B plus
3: yeah that's that's very fair fachi so let's move on to our next question from Shalomar the god uh, there are suddenly a lot of guards and a few bigs on the roster judging by what we have seen from this current version of the indiana pacers what is the most pressing need
2: Man, I would say we need a true wing. We, we've needed it for a while. We need a real small forward who could be a two way player. Can you score and defend? I know we're asking for a lot because that seems to be the ingredient for you know a very successful team. So they're not easy to find. So you know, I know it takes a while, but I wouldn't put you know, I would just say yeah, that that that's what we need right now. It's most important.
3: Yeah, we need some defense. We need some perimeter defense, and we need to continue to find guys that can shoot the basketball at a high clip. Look. I love what we're seeing from Buddy Hill, but he's so inconsistent already in just a short short stint. Halliburton, excuse me, Halliburton's really pretty – he's he's pretty talented, you know, and he's pretty efficient from the three. Like, I think he was 6 of 17 in his last game when we won, Mm -hmm. and he was, like, so disgusted with the shot, you know, his stat line from a shot perspective. So, I really enjoy that about him. I think that he is just a guy – That's going to lead this team. You know, Dwayne Washington Jr., he's kind of hit a rough spot. There's no Justin Holland anymore, no Jeremy Lamb. would like to see what Turner does when he gets back, see what Brogdon does when he gets back. But they need three-point shooting and they need perimeter defense badly. So I think if they can address that, you know, those two areas in the offseason, that's big. But position-wise, you know, we've talked about it for a long time. They need a true modern-day four. Um, I'm not sure if O'Shea is that as a starter long-term. But I do like the idea of trying to find someone that can be really good defensively at the four and can also be a a three-point shooter as well.
2: I mean, they they really do. If you can find that, I mean, it would be a great recipe towards being successful. It's just, those are some hard things to find, but I mean, yeah, that's, that's really what we need moving forward.
3: Yeah. Let me ask you this because I know it's not something that's been, I don't think anybody asked us and I'm not trying to like annoy people by asking this, but like, if they're trying to win next year and they've got salary cap, would you be okay with them going after a guy like Gordon Hayward?
2: Here's the thing is like Hayward will have like two years left on his deal. I believe.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Are the Pacers going to win anything in two years? I don't think so.
3: But you're, you're establishing a culture to a certain degree. You're getting a guy in here to play that position. And whether you believe it or not, I, I think he's a decent defender. Not great, but decent can hold a zone, can score in the mid-range, good passer. I think he'd be a much needed much, you know, without Sabonis now, I think they're going to need someone to help facilitate a little bit besides Halliburton. I think you need another connector. I think that Hayward could be that guy. Can guard those bigger wings, can shoot the ball well. I don't I I feel like with him next to Turner actually, it could be a nice fit together because we know Turner is a great rim protector. So it's just an idea. I'm not saying that I would actually want to invest in all that money if I had to from the Pacers and Gordon Hayward, but I'm just thinking bigger picture. If they're trying to win next year, if they're if they're trying to continue to, to grow this culture and, and try to be a better team, that could make some sense if they strike out on some other options.
2: Here's what I'll say. If the Pacers don't have to invest assets to acquire him, and it's more like he kind of falls in our lap because – Charlotte's looking to re-sign uh, Miles Bridges, then I'm more intrigued. Like if there's a situation over there and I don't think they'd really have interest in Brogdon because they have mellow Ball, you have Terry Rozier. But if there's a way to like dump a contract, you know, absorb Hayward into space and not have to trade like a first round pick or more, then, you know, then I'm more intrigued because we would be paying him some solid money. And yes, he does definitely bring some really positive things to the table. But I just feel like it's like, now we're going in a big push to be, you know, the eighth seed playing, you know. It's not bad. It's not great.
3: Yeah, what if it was like uh, Buddy Hill plus the Cavs pick and the Rockets pick? That too much? Yeah, I think so. Okay, think okay. So. Well, that wasn't a question, but let's move on. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just thought about it as we were talking, so I want to throw that out there. But, you know, it was a good conversation. Let's move on. Yeah, of
2: course. All right, so next we have Perth Pacer fan 80 He said, should we make a free agency move for Miles Bridges? Charlotte would have to shed a lot of cap to match anything in the mid-20s. He's a very good player and would uh, fast-forward this rebuild.
3: I don't want to break up the dynamic duo of Eric Collins and Miles Bridges because Eric Collins has some incredible calls on those Miles Bridges ducks. However, Quentin Buckner and Chris Zaneri can make some – Really great highlight reels having Miles Bridges on this team. Look, I love Miles Bridges. I, uh, that's the guy that I actually wanted over PJ Washington. If I was able to trade Turner and get him back, I just never thought it was a realistic option. Look, believe it or not, our friend Spencer Percy and we've had, we've had Richie Randall and some other guys have come on this podcast from our Blue Wire Network, Charlotte Hornets, Buzzbeat podcast. I actually went on their episode, they were on, they did a Twitter spaces on Wednesday night, I believe it was Wednesday or Thursday night. I joined just to listen, and they had me come on and talk, and I asked them about Miles Bridges, believe it or not, and they said they could actually see it happening where Charlotte does not resign him if a situation came. So that was a thought that was like, wow, that's crazy. The Pacers could literally offer Miles Bridges like a max contract or as close to it as they could just to get him in here, or they could go the sign-and-trade route with Miles Turner if they feel like they can find a different – route at the center position if they don't want to pay Turner long-term uh, moving forward. And I think this is something where we could really look at Charlotte being another team to look at as a partner with the Pacers once again in this off season.
2: I mean, that would be very intriguing. Miles Bridges took a massive leap this year. He's definitely got to be in the running for most improved player of the year. Um, so look, if, if the Pacers have an opportunity to get Bridges, I'm all for it. You pair – Halliburton, Duarte, Bridges together, I feel like you really got something fun and and really positive moving forward. And obviously that does speed up the rebuild massively.
3: Yeah. You know, it's just an interesting thought out there. Just thinking it through with other people is always a great way for me to go about it, especially fans or guys that cover a certain team. So I don't feel like I'm just like being like rose-colored glasses, like Indiana is a great place, you know. But I, I do think that with him and Halliburton, that could be really exciting. Um, but, yeah, let's move on to our next question. This comes from DKF. Great show. Question, why is it Miles a lob threat? I can't recall any shot blocker who is athletic and with good hands uh, fails to be a lob threat.
2: It's a great point. I mean, to be honest, I feel like I only remember maybe one or two Turner lob finishes that come to mind like in, in over the years um he's just really not a lob threat I I don't know maybe he's just like really good at timing blocks but doesn't necessarily like soar through the air like Isaiah Jackson but yeah I I really don't know but he's definitely not really a lob threat
3: Miles Turner does not have good hands I'm sorry to break it to you DKF he's a good shot blocker but in terms of catching passes he can't handle a lot of a lot of passes unless they're right in his in his wheelhouse Um, You saw a lot of times where Sabonis would handle a very tough pass and be able to control it and corral it and make the right move. This is not Miles Turner's flander. This is just being honest. A lot of times Turner just kind of fumbles the ball a little bit, doesn't have super strong hands, and I think that could be part of it. Um, Not not being able to just, like, reliably catch it and then position it and then throw it down. Like, we've seen some nasty Turner dunks this year and throughout his career, like the one over Hayward, the one over Tristan Thompson in the playoffs. Like, he can dunk the ball and he's got – He's got some kind of like quick jump to him at certain times, but it's just not all the time. So part of it too could be the injury concerns. I I think, you know, he runs kind of weird. He's got an awkward motion to his running. That's part of the reason that we were – our teams were hesitant to draft him, right, Fauci? So I do think that 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 could play a little bit of of a factor into it. And, you know, Isaiah Jackson just – I mean, he's a pogo stick. Some guys just have that natural ability to just jump out of the gym – I don't think Turner's necessarily like an elite jumper, but I think he does have some jumping ability. I just don't think he's like a lob threat leaper kind of guy.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like, look, my vertical is horrendous. So who am I to criticize Miles Turner's? But it just seems like he's, he's much better at shot blocking than it is like kind of jumping up and catching the ball at its highest point and, you know, finishing it.
3: So, yeah, well, real quick, shot blocking too is a lot about timing. I mean, you could you could be not great off your feet and still just be in the right position to make the right block if you are able to time it correctly. It's the same with rebounding, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if you have a nose for the ball, you're able to maybe out rebound somebody that can jump ten feet higher than you or whatever. You know, being dramatic here, but someone can jump drastically higher than you because you're able to one get in better position and two you have a sense for when it's going to happen, you know? So that, like, that's just, you know, you have a nose for the ball. I think that a lot of that does play a factor into why he is such a good rim protector.
2: Very, very true. Could be. Uh, Next question we have coming up. Pacer fan from Germany said, what do you guys think we can get if we package Brogdon, McConnell, and Cleveland's first rounder? And is there any type of scenario that Bolt stay with the team next season?
3: Hmm. Well, I'll answer the second part first. I think there is a scenario where they both stay with the team, um, you know, because I think if you don't find a trade you like out there for Brogdon, you just start him next to Halliburton, put Duarte on the bench, or start Duarte at the three, and then, Bro- then McConnell is your backup point guard when healthy, right? I don't think that's like the most unrealistic thing. So I think it's very realistic that it could happen. Um, in terms of a trade package, that's really tough. Um, you're looking at probably close to $28 million there, plus Cleveland's first rounder. Um, I I hate to kind of throw it out there, but like the Hayward contracts, the only one that kind of makes sense to me in in terms of a team that might be willing to move, but they don't really need two point guards. They already have a starting point guard and Lamelo ball. So you're looking at a team that probably needs point guard depth. I think you could look at the team like a Washington Wizards team, but what are you going to get back? Um, anything worth anything? Maybe you look at getting back Ruby Hachimura and something else. I don't know if that would be, um, if that'd be enough in terms of Brogdon McConnell, and McConnell in a pick. But other than that, I'm just kind of brainstorming here. I don't have a lot of great answers for this one. So um, I don't know what you have come up with, Fochi. but it's a, it's, a, it's a hard one to find. First thing I'm
2: going to say is I don't think anyone is in the market to acquire two point guards at once that are combining for about $30 million next year. Uh, I know we'd attach the Cleveland pick, but that Cleveland pick could be like 20th overall, if not, maybe even worse. So I don't think anyone's going to take both Brogdon and McConnell off of our hands in the same trade. Um, I think first Brogdon needs to get his stock up because, you know, he's been hurt for most of this year. He's uh, also owed about, you know, three years. And I want to say like $66 million moving forward. McConnell's owed about $19 million moving forward. Cause that, that last year, I think it's like 5 million out of, you know, out of like the nine or so is guaranteed. So, um, Ah, I just feel like his non-shooting capabilities also complicate things a little bit. I do think there's a scenario where they could both be on the roster, but I feel like, you know, you have Halliburton over there. I feel like you're not trying to have this be the most crowded, uh, you know, point guard, you know, section of the team, whatever you want to call it. I mean, not just backcourt, but that's a lot of point guards that need playing time. So I, I feel like one of those guys is going to be moved next year but I wouldn't be surprised if both are on the roster to start the year.
3: Yeah, I completely agree. Let's move on to our last question for this part one of the episode. comes from at Jeremy Lamb Go. I appreciate that you're sticking with that handle after Jeremy Lamb has been moved on, but would the Pacers be open to, uh, be open to trading Duarte in the offseason? I watch all teams in the NBA and have my eyes on Josh Christopher, who is struggling to find minutes on the Rockets. His play style would fit better with Tyrese and has a really high ceiling and fits our timeline more.
2: I'm gonna be honest. I, I look. I don't watch that much Josh Christopher, but if the trade is Chris Duarte for Josh Christopher, I, I'm out. Um, I just think that right now the Pacers hit on Chris Duarte. Like this, this guy is the the most promising first round pick we've had since Miles Turner in 2015. Um, so I really wouldn't worry about Duarte's age because I feel like he's already been better than we hoped for. So I feel like the Pacers should not be in a rush to trade Duarte unless they draft a guy like Jay Nivey, and then all of a sudden he becomes a little bit more expendable or if some crazy scenario happens where he doesn't want to be here anymore.
3: Yeah, so just for some statistical reference, Josh Christopher started in two of the 50 games that he's played and he was averaging 16.5 minutes per game, shooting 45% from the field, just 32% from three, 77% from the free throw line, 7.4 points a game. Like I understand I know Rockets fans, from what I've seen on Twitter, they are intrigued by Josh Christopher's game. So, you know, obviously he's an interesting guy, right? But I I think that if you're trading Duarte for him, that's just ridiculous. Um, No no chance that I'm doing that. But, you know, if Josh Christopher is a guy that you think is struggling to find minutes on the Rockets, well, you shouldn't have to give up a guy that's a potential starter on your team to get in. That's when you kind of sell low. Maybe you do a Gogo Batadze plus that second. Give Houston back their second form if you really believe in him that much. But... No, I don't. I don't necessarily like this idea of uh, of Duarte for Christopher, but you know, uh, I would definitely have to say with Watchy, I, I would have to watch more Christopher basketball than what I've seen. But I just the Pacers like Josh Christopher that much. I think they would have just drafted him, you know, at thirteen last year.
2: Yeah, so do I. I- You know, maybe you got a soft spot for for Josh Christopher. Also, I want to say, given your Twitter name, my condolences for Jeremy Lamb. I know, you know, moving on to Sacramento, it's got to be tough. But, no, I'm not in a rush to trade Chris Duarte,
3: especially not for Josh Christopher. All right, bonus question. Over or under 2% chance Jeremy Lamb returns to the Pacers next season? That ain't happening. I feel like that (laughs) ship has sailed. All right, Foxy. So where can people find us out on social media? All
2: right, so you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenMBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at PacersTalk. You can find us on Facebook at setting the Pace, And you can find us on TikTok at
3: SettingThePace. And if you would say no to a Chris Duarte for Josh Christopher trade, say these three words.
2: Let's go Pacers! <laughs>